0: You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit CanbyFoursquare.com to learn more. (laughs) Don't you just love that guy? Yeah. (laughs) I want him in my church. Yeah, I just want him in my life. You know, there are times that we just need to be hugged and and, uh, somehow he knew that. And uh, I just love that. I love to i love to see how God just works in our lives and takes care of us because this morning I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about something the Bible tells us is an absolute game changer when it comes to making a difference. When it comes to making a difference in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood, in the world that you live in, and it's really about radical love. It's the kind of love that's been invested into you and me through Jesus Christ. And it's the church, the body of Christ, that has been entrusted with that love. And this is what I know. I know that in the world today, the secular and sacred are drifting further and further apart. And what can fill that gap, what can touch a world, is the love that the world sees through you. Because you are the body of Christ. And it's up to you. There's no plan B. (laughs) There's no backup. God didn't create it that way. When Jesus left this planet... He said, I authorize you, I empower you, I fill you to bring that love, to make a difference. And that love, that love in this world today is a game changer. And I think it's going to shine. I really do. I think the love that you have for Jesus, the love that you have for others is absolutely going to shine. And the reason why I know that is because we're living in a world that's getting darker and darker and darker every day. And when it gets darker, light shines brighter. That's just the way it works. And so the love that you have for Jesus, the love that you have for others is amazing. It's the kind of love that Jesus says is the trademark of those who follow him, his church. It really is. That's the kind of love we're talking about. A few months ago, one of my friends, my dear friends here at this church, wanted wanted me to meet one of his dear friends who was coming from out of town. He had told me that this dear friend of his had listened to our podcast, had listened to me. And, uh, and he had talked to this person about me. And so one day, this person actually shows up in our, in our foyer, in our lobby. And he said, Ron, I want you to meet this person. And when I went out to meet this person, uh, they looked at me, and I could tell immediately in their eyes, they were just disappointed in what they saw. You know, it was, like, it was like they just looked at me, and I started to laugh because I could tell. And I knew exactly what was going on. She had heard me on podcasts. She thought I was Thor. You know, she thought that I was probably 6'5", you know, and had, a, had this booming voice, and I walk out, and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm challenged, you know, when it comes to stature. And uh, she looked at me, and I could see it immediately. She tried to cover it up. She did her best. She went, oh. I mean, because, you know, I am the pastor, you know. So I just laughed, and I said, hey, I'm not what you thought I was. And she said, no. No. <laughs> And we, we got to be good friends right there and there. I wasn't what she expected. I really wasn't what she had expected. She thought, again, that I somehow would be a lot taller and, and, and bigger than I was. And, and that's really what it is. I think that's really what it's about when we talk about church as well. Sometimes church isn't altogether what you expect. I think a lot of people have different ideas of what the church should be or what they think it should be or what they want it to be. They might think that the church is judgmental or unfriendly or out of touch with the times. They may, not even, um, they may not have been to church, but where they're being informed is by the people around them, by news media. And sometimes that's not altogether a positive report, but that's how they're formed. That's how they're shaped when it comes to what they think about the church. They've attached this negative stereotype Because they've heard it from others. And for those who may have attended church a long time ago. Or maybe, you know, attended church when you were a child. You may carry around feelings of hurt about the church. There might be hardships there. You know, we're living in a day where there are many who no longer see the value of coming together. Coming together to worship. Coming together and spending time with each other. Uh, That seems to be kind of drifting by the wayside what I typically hear is that they say yes to Jesus and no to the church maybe you've heard that as well I mean if you're a believer in Christ and you stand up for Jesus you have probably heard things like this and some of the issues are real I think some of the issues are heartfelt someone hurt me or they disappointed me at church church is pretty boring that's one thing you might hear Um, I remember growing up that way, going to Sunday school and sitting in Sunday school and looking at flannel boards. They were even outdated when I was going to church, so that's a long time ago. Uh, Church is out of touch, or maybe the preacher was angry. Maybe the preacher yelled at you a lot. That's never comfortable when someone yells at you. Maybe for some, it was the ritual and the traditions that, that wore you out. I mean, stand up, sit down, say this, say that. Uh, Church just didn't make sense to you, and you tried to make sense of church, but it really didn't make sense. Or maybe it was the lack of thoughtfulness or study. Maybe it was the lack of preparation. It sounded like messages were just being thrown together, or it was a regular churchgoer who spoke something to shame you. It was harsh and insensitive. Maybe you've experienced things like that. And and by the way, everything that I've mentioned to you, I've experienced personally as well. (laughs) It's not always fun to just try to work out life with others. But we're required to. That's the whole thing. And you know, I, like you, have wanted to throw in the towel at times. And just say, wow, this is just tough. This is just really hard. And each time I do, I'm reminded of the love that Jesus has for me and the love he has for God's people, the love he has for the world. You know, if I were to summarize the polling data, and it's out there, And my own long-standing observations, this is what many say about the church as a whole. Jesus is still important, but the church seems irrelevant. Now, why would that be? Maybe it's because they don't see enough of Jesus in the church. It might be because they don't see the light of Jesus in our lives. And while I disagree with this generalization, I also know there are reasons behind this statement and some, I think, are valid and others aren't so valid. Could be because of bad leadership, poor use of funds, insensitivity, too many hypocrites. I had someone say that to me once. There are too many hypocrites in the church and I said, well, why don't you come? I'd love to have you. We have room for one more. You know, it's just, it always, I mean, I, you know. I had a youth pastor say to me one time, he, he, he asked me, well, why aren't you in church? And I said, because there are too many hypocrites. You know, that's a good line to use. And he said, oh, then, then that means you're letting one hypocrite stand between you and God. Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, there are kind of a lot of things here. Here's where I land. It's unrealistic to expect the church to be perfect or exactly what you want it to be when it's very makeup are people who are imperfect and who are flawed. I mean, when it's makeup is us, how can we expect it to be perfect, including the pastor? I think the problem that most people have when it comes to hypocrisy is, is not so much that people aren't, aren't perfect, but they pretend that they're perfect. They might act like they're perfect. I think it's this lack of humility and vulnerability or acting like we don't have sins or struggles or brokenness that that really puts people off. One of the things that we say around here, one of the phrases we use a lot is the courage to be vulnerable gives others hope. So as a Jesus follower, one of the things that we can offer our world and one of the ways that we can offer our love is through humility, it's through vulnerability and I think when we do that, we don't only offer courage or hope to those who are believers, but we offer hope to the world because they, they see that brokenness. If you were on the outside looking in, that must feel repulsive to others. It, it's not a church that I really, I really want to be part of that isn't willing to admit their brokenness, isn't really willing to, to admit their pain and their hardship. Listen to the, this scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, "And God placed all things under His feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way." Jesus is the head of the church. And here's the point. You can't separate the head from the body. You can't separate Jesus and His church. They come together. It's a package deal. You see, the church, through the power of Jesus Christ, has the ability to be life-changing and transformative. I love what people say about you, because I hear it all the time. I I hear the comments that are made. I get the emails that come in. I received one the other day from someone who was baptized here, and his whole family was here. I don't know if you were here for that last water baptism, but it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing Uh, what people go to or the lengths they go to to be baptized because there's a heart to follow Jesus. There's a seriousness to follow Jesus. With One young man who who actually had lost his leg as a child in an accident and he he wanted to be baptized and so he came up here and (laughs) took his prosthetic off and got baptized. And you think life is hard for you. I thought that when I saw him, I thought, oh my goodness, what an amazing thing. And then one gentleman wrote this. He said, the love and kindness that was shown to myself and my family was absolutely amazing. That's a quote. So how you love and care for others really does inform them. It transforms them. Because our mission is to make disciples who make disciples for Jesus. This is how the world is changed. Now here's the reason for the message today. The reason for this is people's misconceptions about the church, the body of Christ, are not going to be changed by an organization. They are not going to be changed by an institution. They will be transformed by individuals who love Jesus and who love others absolutely. That's how it gets changed. That's how the world we live in gets changed. So with that, it's hard to pass that responsibility off to someone else. It's hard to say, well, it's the organization of the church that should be doing that. You know, I hear people say, well, you know what the church should do? I said, no, what should you do? Because we're all part of this. We're all in this together. And I love the way it works. I love to see how God works in you. And how he works through you to get things accomplished. It's a radical kind of love. The love that we're talking about here is a radical kind of love. And so why is radical love so important? Why is it important? I already gave you a taste of it early on in this message. But it's important that we love Jesus. It's important that we love others. Why? Well, the answer is this. Because Jesus tells us that this is what makes a difference. He said, if you really want to make a difference in the world, it's not all going to be to, by, your, you know, by your works. It's not going to be by the songs you sing all together. That's all fun. That's all nice. That's all wonderful. What he's saying is you're going to change the world you live in by radical love. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, a new command I give to you. He says this, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love Love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's the command that we're to live by it's one that Jesus upholds, and it's the one that he's modeled. So he isn't telling us just to do something that he hasn't done for us because he's modeled it. In, the, in order to, to fully appreciate what Jesus says here in John 13, I think you need to understand the circumstances that were behind all of this. You see, Jesus speaks these words when most of us would probably be upset. We'd probably be angry because Jesus tells his disciples to love when in a few hours he is going to be betrayed. It's only a few hours after he says this that his own disciples betray him. Some flat out and some not so flat out. I mean, they just ran away. They disappeared. This is when Jesus says all of this. It's said that a, that a lot can be known about someone's true self uh, with what they say and do under extreme pressure. Well, they, they were under extreme pressure. You know, Jesus commands us to love, and this is radical. This is what separates, really, uh, the men from the boys, the women from the girls. Jesus says it's, it's not hate, it's not vengeance, it's not your intellect, it's not your theology. It's not all these things that make a difference. It's not your power or influence. What marks a disciple of Jesus Christ is love, and it's a radical love. Jesus didn't say, hey, friends, uh, take a shot at this thing. You know? Take a shot at loving each other. I mean, do your best. Try what you might. Just, just take a, a shot and see what happens. Now, he doesn't say that. He says, I command you to love one another. And the teachings of Jesus, it's very rare that he actually uses the word command or he commands you to do something. But this is one of those places he knows is a non-negotiable. This is one of those places that he says, listen, if you really want to be my followers and if you really want to make a difference in the world, then what you need to do is love each other and love the world around you. This is not a suggestion or just a kind gesture. Love is a weapon against the evil forces of this dark world. That's what he's saying. Maybe you think of love as being soft or patronizing. Love is none of those things. Love is the most powerful weapon that we have in this dark age. And the reason that it's a command is you will not survive or make a lasting difference if you do not radically love. What Jesus is saying here is if you're my followers and you really want to make a difference and you want to have a legacy and you want people to know you and remember you, then love radically. The people that I remember who have since passed on, who made an impression in my life, are those that love me and they love me radically. In fact, Jesus could have used three other words for love to make his case, but he doesn't. He, he uses the most extreme word, the most radical word. The other three words that he could have used here is a word for romantic love. It's eros. He could have used that. It, it really means this, I love you if. I love you if, and then you can fill in the blank. Very conditional. There's another word. These two words actually come together. It's the word storge. Storge is a familial love. It's a family love. It's the kind of love you, uh, you may or may not have for a brother or sister. But it's meant to, to be a love for family. Storge. And then one that's close to that is the word falejo. That's the, that's the brotherly love. A strong friendship. So you have a a family love that could have been used. You have a a, a word for love that means a, a friendship. But that means this. That means I love you because. I love you because you're my mother. I love you because you're my father. I love you because you're my husband. I love you because you're my wife. Jesus didn't choose those words. The word that Jesus chose to use here, and some of you are familiar with this, is the word agape. I love you in spite of, you know, I love you in spite of your flaws, I love you in spite of your brokenness, I I love you in spite of the pain you may cause, I love you. This kind of love is really unconditional, and now you, you have a little Greek lesson there, We just gave, I I took uh, one year of Greek, I think I got a C plus or a B minus, so I think I did okay with this, you know, just telling you a little bit of Greek, but it's, it's a good one. Now, I want to give you a little Greek lesson, I gave you a little Greek lesson, let me give you a final exam, and it's one question on the test, which word for love did Jesus use here? It's the word agape. In fact, if you were going to read it with that word plugged in there in John 13, 34, and 35, rephrased, it would sound like this. A new command I give you, agape one another, as I have agape you. So you must agape one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have unconditional agape for one another. Do you see the power of that? And it takes on really a whole different kind of, a whole level, a whole different kind of meaning when we throw in agape. So why didn't Jesus use the other words for love? The reason he didn't is because he showed us agape love. How else can you explain him becoming flesh and living without sin and dying for our sins and raising from the dead? I mean, how else do you explain the gift of his presence in the Holy Spirit here today? How else do you explain that he loves me in spite of my flaws? It must be radical. It must be agape. That's the only way that I could get here today. It's the only way that you could be here today. It's because of this amazing, radical, unconditional love. And through his followers, agape love is given to the rejected. It's given to the broken, to the poor, to the downcast, to the sick. It is a radical kind of love. Remember, God did not create love. The Bible tells us that God is love, and we are the most like our creator when we love. You know, this kind of love sometimes goes against our nature, doesn't it? It's kind of counterintuitive. See, this kind of love just kind of, it it does create a vulnerability in you. And I'm one who doesn't like to be vulnerable. I'm one that self-protects. That's that's my natural instinct, is to self-protect. This love says you don't live that way. This love is counterintuitive to me. It says I live open, and what comes, comes. God's love is total, unconditional love. You can't do anything that will make God love you more, and you can't do anything that will make God love you less. Can you say amen to that? Because I think there might be some here that think God loves you less and you just have to work a little harder. Or God loves you more. God's love is eternal. It's great. It's deep. It's magnificent. It changes our lives. God loves you because He loves you. There it is. That's the reason. The Bible says that we've been created in His image. If you remember last week, we said that God has left an impression on all of us. Every human being, ever to draw breath, there's an impression of God on us. And in the garden, that impression was pulled back, and there's still, the hand of God was pulled back, and there's still a mark of God on us. And the only thing that can fill the impression of God is God Himself listen to what ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says it says instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head there it is again that is christ christ is the head of the church there there, there we see it you can't separate jesus from his church You can't be accurate or biblically sound or theologically sound if you say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It doesn't work. Jesus is the head, and we are the body, and without the head, we're not alive. And without the body, we are powerless to model His love. When God's body is unified, then God is glorified. So that when you're unified in the love of Jesus Christ, there's... This thing that happens, this miracle that takes place where God is glorified. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have our differences. That doesn't mean there are times we might not like each other. But love rules the day. Love reigns. So somewhere in our journey and relationship, we have to come to this place. We land in this place as followers of Jesus Christ. What am I compelled to do When I have differences, what am I compelled to do when I might not like someone altogether because they don't like me, I love. Man, I wish there was another way out of this. Don't you? Don't you wish that there are times you could just take your ball and go home? I mean, you're in one of those spots. I mean, it's a jam. (laughs) And you think, I don't have to put up with this. Yes, you do. According to Jesus Christ. And I think the thing I always come back to there is I have to put up with it because he put up with me. And there are no free lunches in the kingdom, by the way. Just want you to know that. What he's invested in me, I am obligated to invest in others. You know, this is a powerful thing. It's a powerful statement to the world that is skeptical of the church. So here's another question. What does radical love look like? How can I have radical love for others? How does that work? I'll tell you what, it's only a work of God's Spirit that this is even possible. So if you're open to the work of God's Spirit in your life, it's something that can take place. It's something that can happen. I remember um, over 30 years ago, we were loving this church before we met this church isn't that weird because we just had been praying for this church way before we ever arrived at this church i don't know all the reasons why it was just on our radar and so we were praying for this church and every now and again i would call the the bishop the district supervisor in the area it's kind of odd that someone would do this but i'd say hey I don't mean to, you know, like, supplant the pastor that's there, but if there's ever any movement in that church, uh, Annette and I would like a little shot at it. (laughs) So I was at another church, and the pastor asked me, Would you take a promotion? I want you to be my executive pastor. The first thing we thought of is, Well, let's check in with Canby first before we accept a new assignment, you know? So I called the district supervisor. He thought I was a little, you know, precocious. And I said, is, is, is there any movement there? I mean, he said, no. Whoever leaves that church is crazy. That's what he told me. That church is really a good church. So we went to the pastor who I was currently serving under, and we said, I'll take it, and we'll take the responsibility. One week later, the pastor of Canby Foursquare Church resigned. Isn't that crazy? It's like, what just happened? We thought we totally missed it. And so we just started fasting and praying. We started fasting and praying for this church, even though we knew we might not be the pastor of this church, but we were just fasting and praying for the good people here. And again, we had not met one soul here. But there was something in our hearts that was deeper than explanation. It was deeper than words. And so we, we, we prayed and we, we said to each other, the only way we can go to the church in Canby be." is if the pastor we're serving under actually releases us to go. Now, mind you, that never happened in the history of this church before. So we were thinking to ourselves, well, we'll be here a while. Maybe we'll we'll outlive three other pastors that come to Canby. We don't know. But we kept praying. And one day, uh, my pastor called me into his office, and he just looked at me, and he said, you know, there's a chance that you can pastor the Canby Four Square Church and I said really and I said are you releasing me are you blessing me to go and he says no that's not what I'm saying (laughs) and I said well I, I I think it's great but I need to be released and blessed by you because if you can't do that or won't do that I have to be here I have to stay and he talked around it a little more and then finally he got up and he came around next to me and he put his hand on me and he said, I release you and I bless you to go. We didn't know you. We didn't know anybody here. But it was a radical kind of love. It was deep in our hearts, deep in our spirits. It's really unexplainable. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, we can't miss this, especially when Christians are being defined and are defining themselves by other things rather than love. There are a lot of good things out there, by the way. There are a lot of good things to be known for. There are a lot of good things to pursue. But Jesus says the number one most important thing that you should be known by, the number one thing that you should be defined by is my love. Please let us be known for our love for Jesus and our love for others. That's what we should be known for. Radical love is intentional. You see, agape love is not impulsive. It's... uh, It's highly intentional. I can be impulsive sometimes. Maybe good things come out of that. But a radical love, the love we're talking about here, the love that John is talking about here, is an intentional love. It's the purest expression of Jesus through us that is always looking for opportunities to touch others, to love others. This kind of love hunts for the lost Is It is it. This is a tenacious love. This is an extravagant love. This is kind of love, love that doesn't get turned away. It doesn't, it doesn't turn back in the face of fear. It doesn't turn back in the, in the face of an enemy. It pursues. It hunts. It's on the hunt. By the way, that's how you were saved. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't... Due to your works or your good looks, it was, you were saved because you were hunted. C.S. Lewis calls Jesus the hound dog of heaven. He hunted you, he came after you. And then it was your willingness to relent, it was your willingness to say, I surrender. But he's hunted and he keeps hunting. You see, that's the kind of love we're talking about. This kind of love hunts for the lost and the broken and the hurting, those that need encouragement or kindness or hope or help. That's why we do what we do around here, you know, because we know there are people outside of this room. There are people that need someone to hunt them. There are people that need to hunt them with the love of God. I mean, that's why this time of year we do angel tree, I mean, Um, We do angel tree because there are moms and dads that are incarcerated and their kids wouldn't get presents or gifts otherwise. We want them to know that they're valued. We want them to know they're worth something, and so we hunt them. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable at times, but it is love. You know, it's the love of Christ. Two weeks from today, we're going to take our Christmas offering, which we uh, we, we do every year, this time of year. And we are going to divide that offering into two. Two places that offering is going to go. One is our own Canby Center, who really has done a wonderful job reaching this community. And many of you have partnered with them financially, you've partnered with them um, as a volunteer. There's just a lot of ways we partnered with Canby Center. And for those that are looking for a place to work or volunteer, it's a great place to go and, uh, and be part of that team. So we're going to give half the offering to Canby Center. And the other half we're going to give to a fund called the Dr. Davies Fund. And I'll tell you what that goes to. The Dr. Davies Fund actually goes to first responders. See, there are times that first responders get to the problem quicker than the church or other people do. They get there and they see homes burned out and they see a need right away for food or clothing or housing and they need to have the resources to help people you know, get that next three or four or five or ten days when they're just been—they've been totally devastated. And we've seen that, haven't we? We've witnessed this on the news, and it can be absolutely devastating. The first responders are there, and then it gives them that freedom to say, "Hey, we want to help you. We want to put clothes on your back. We want to feed you. We want to put a roof over your head." That's what that fund is designed to do. So we're going to take that offering and give it to the Dr. Davies Fund and Canby Center. And so be thinking about that. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, the phrase ought to means that we are driven to, that we must, that we can't help ourselves. That's really the essence of that word, we ought to. This is who we are more than what we do. You see, what we do comes from who we are, And we've been transformed by the love of Jesus. You know, why am I talking like this to the church about the church today? I mean, I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, There's a reason. I think there's a reason for me. I think it's the design of the Holy Spirit. Because no matter what you think about the church, again, it's God's representation of himself on this earth. In all of its flaws, and all of its brokenness, and all of its craziness, here it is. You're it. Just go like this, I'm it. Yeah, yeah, there's no plan B. I mean, you know, it's like the, the PE coach that calls you and go, hey, it's you. And you're going, who, oh, me? And you're kind of looking around. No, there's nobody standing. It's us. It's it. You're it. There's not an alternative here. God didn't say, well, if the body of Christ, the church really can't do it, I got, I got a plan B. He has no plan B. You were it. The responsibility that rests on me is to reflect that love that was given me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, and this is the promise that you can hold on to, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on, to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. the good work of love in us will be carried out to the day of completion. Now here's a practical way to remind yourself about how God has used people in the church to love us. I want you to look at the bottom, if you have an outline, a sermon outline, you'll see at the bottom of your outline where it says, "I am thankful for these people who have loved me in spite of my flaws. You see that? This is a good practice, and it's a good practice as we go into Thanksgiving week that we sit down and we think about people in our lives that have loved us unconditionally and to write their names down. Just write their names down. Whether they've passed on or they're alive today, just write their names down and let your heart be full with joy. Let those people model for you what you can model for others. This is a powerful practice, I, I do this, I wish to, I, I really need to do it more often, but this is a powerful practice. Write their names down. We're going to close today. We've done this before because you've asked us to do this. Um, another powerful tool to express love has been through your generosity. You are, are a generous people. And one of the things that we have um, been told by you, we've listened to you, and you've said, hey, we just want to know where we are. What's going on? I mean, what's happening financially? What's, what's taking place there? I don't know if many of you have met Chris White. Chris, come on up here. Chris is the business administrator here, so let Chris know you, you love him.
1: I agape you, Ron. I
0: agape you, man. Uh, Chris, I, I just asked Chris if he could just give us a, a, a brief summary. And we're gonna, we do this about three times a year. Uh, It's only to let you know because you've asked. You said, where are we here? Let us know so we can help, we can pray. And so this is what this is really all about. And this is, it fits into, you know, generosity and love and what God's doing. So go ahead. And also
1: just um, nothing like coming up at the end of a sermon on love. And I'll demonstrate my love by not making this a long, drawn-out report to everybody. (laughs) Uh, Like Pastor Ron said, my name's Chris White. And uh, we are, what we're doing here today is not talking about so much... uh, you know, where we are right in this split second, because we're just a couple of months into the fiscal year, but looking where we came and kind of drawing the bow on fiscal year 2018, which ended in August. We, uh, when we have a stewardship report, what do we mean? The Bible speaks of stewardship as mm-hmm. one who invests for the benefit of another person. Mm-hmm. and uh, And that's what Jesus calls us to do, is to invest not only our time, and our talents, but also our treasure, our finances, to invest on His behalf. And one of the ways we can invest in that is to give to our local church and continue and sustain the mission here. And so that's what stewardship's about. And what I'm going to talk about a little bit today: where the money comes in and where the money goes. So mm-hmm. can we have the next slide up there, real quick. Uh, this is our uh, church budget. Can be four Square Church's budget. And in terms of our general offerings that we we brought in last year, we brought in $1.66 million uh, for the year, and we spent $1.64 on the way out. Uh, We never try to ever operate at a deficit. We try to live always within our means. And also part of that money that we uh, take in, we also save about $0.04 of every dollar for a rainy day fund and also for taking care of our facilities here when there's a breakdown of a heater or something like that so uh... we we, uh... try to systematically save and uh... that helps us to not ever operate at a deficit next slide please uh... this is where the the money goes uh... every every month we we make a tithe uh... off of our uh... because we're part of a denomination and so we want to further the four square Movement And so uh, 10% of our uh, income we send off to the four-square denomination, and uh, that is for the expansion and sustaining of the church. Then the next two columns, we have our property and facility, and that represents about 18% of our budget. That is our land payment, and also, uh, you know, keeps the lights on, the gas, so you can have pancake breakfast, you know, it's nice to Be nice to turn on the grill, griddle and have that come on, uh, so that's just basically our, our overhead and utilities. Uh, well then we spend $184,000 and some change on our program, uh, programming ministry here, that would be curriculums, VBS, summer camps, uh typically uh the, the 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 programs in ministry here. And then uh uh the highest of course out of all these categories is our staff and Canby Foursquare Square has a uh very strong staff and that would always be the most important investment here because the staff is who uh, conducts a lot of the ministry here. And so uh, 60% goes typically for that. And that's pretty typical for almost all churches. And then this year, we were blessed to have a excess that uh, came in that we haven't spent yet, which was a nice way to be able to start uh, this new year. Um, If you want to turn to the next slide. Yeah, beyond uh, Canby Four Square Church, just the bigger picture, uh, this uh, figure, we we took in uh, over $2 million dollars. Uh, that also is the bigger picture for our wider ministry beyond the church, our internship program, that's Canby Bible College, that's missionary giving, what we have put out for benevolence, and Canby Cares, and special projects. So uh, there, is a, there is a bigger picture, and your generosity goes beyond just uh, sustaining the church, but the many other ministries we have here uh, at Canby Foursquare. Next slide, please. Uh, In addition to giving, part of the uh, expenses that we have are funded by our uh, tuition payments and fees for retreats and mission trips and all that. But after our expenses remained, uh, we still ended up uh, the year with about $19,000. So Mm -hmm. uh, our goal, though, is, of course, to invest in the kingdom. And I think that we have done a very good job in doing that. Mm -hmm. So it isn't about having money left over. It's about investing it on behalf of the Lord Jesus and seeking a profit for the kingdom. And so, next slide, please. I just want to thank everybody for your generosity. Uh, we have a very high level of participation in this congregation mm-hmm. as far as those who are regular givers here. And I'm so thankful uh, for all of you, and I know we are here. And we're thankful for those of you who trust and sustain the ministry. So beyond that, I would just also uh, make a mention that uh, how is how is the finances... Uh, overseen. How does that happen? Well, beyond the integrity of the staff, we also have a wonderful church council here, Mm -hmm. and I'm so thankful for them. That's been probably one of the highlights of being able to work here, is to work with our church council. Uh, But one of the things I wanted to point out, and and we need to do this every year, and that is that uh, there are some board members that have served their terms out. We have two-year terms here, and you can do two two two-year terms And then you have to go off the board, so we have a continual rotation of people in there. And the role of the church council is to give financial oversight and supervision, really, to the expenditures of the money. It preserves our integrity. And uh, one of the things I would ask of you, because we have three wonderful board members that are going to have to leave next year because their terms are over. And so at this point and stage in the game... Uh, We're seeking names of people that might want to participate with us in that. And it's uh, roughly one meeting a month, 11 months out of 12. And uh, it's not a a super big-time commitment, but it is an important Mm -hmm. investment of time. And so if you have any interest in serving in that, uh, I'd like to have your name. Or you you can email me, you can see me personally, or you can drop me a nasty note. I don't care what you do. Uh, Just get the information to me if you have an interest in doing that. And I think that's all we have. Man, you did a great job. Yeah, Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Ron. I enjoyed it.
0: I really uh, do appreciate Chris and Christine. They've just been a great gift to this community over the last uh, year that they've been over a year that they've been here. Christine, you just got back from the Middle East. You were doing ministry there and then a couple weeks before that, Tunisia and You've you just been everywhere telling people about Jesus. Wow, that's great. And so we, uh, we just really appreciate. Chris has just done a, a great job in all this for our council, and partnering with me uh, has been a blessing, and, and, and it's been so good. And so you would expect right now we would take an offering, but we're not. We're not taking an offering. We're just going to pray and let you know what's going on. We want you to know how God's love is administered and stewarded in this place, around the world, in this community. He's a good God, and he cares for us. Father, we want to thank you today for your benevolence to us, uh, for your generosity to us. Lord, I thank you that we are part of a a generous church. I just pray for those that might be guests here today that you bless, fill, and enrich us in Jesus' name. And Lord, for many of us, that you're working in our hearts in so many um, amazing ways to transform us so that we become those followers, we grow to be those followers that you've called us to be. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, amen.
1: Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have
0: questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canby4square.com.